thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, just for the recording, my name is Mary Works. And if I say anything that doesn't make sense and you don't get to snag me after the meeting, just uh, send me uh, an email at uh, meworks at gmail.com. So just M-E-W-O-R-K-S at gmail.com. My, my last name's a verb. It, it sounds like I uh, work at Google. I don't. Um, and I, a lot of times I get nervous and I forget to say thank you, but um, uh, thank you for having me be your speaker. Um, and I will tell you, I'm, I was sitting here as I was doing all this being like, I just feel so good just being here. Um, and it's not exactly that I felt lonely before I got on the call, but I just feel so happy <laughs> and a part of, and I'm just so grateful um, to be here. And I will tell you that coming to AA meetings and working with people and um, carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous really is the new happy hour for me. And um, it's part of my story. But the first time I felt this type of high that only comes from, um, you know, talking to drunks about AA, I actually called my sponsor to make sure everything was okay. Um, just because I just thought, you know, um, we were never supposed to be this happy. <laughs> um, and, you know, I just, I thought something was wrong that like, I'm going to relapse or something. I'm too happy. Um, so with that, I'm going to uh, start off with a prayer that one of my mentors taught me. Um, I just call it Robin's prayer because that was the name of the woman who taught me. And it's just God, move my pride and ego aside, align my will with yours, speak through me, give me the words to say and correct my mouth and everybody else's ears. And with that, um, I'll tell a little bit about what I was like, what happened, and what I am like now. So, um, uh, I'm kind of your typical, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm kind of your typical county woman, middle-aged county woman um, from the Midwest. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I once uh, got the opportunity to go, uh, lead a weekend out on the West coast. And when I got there, the woman who was hosting me was just like, wow, you really are just like a stereotypical Midwestern woman. And I was like, yep, that's me. Um, um, you know, I, uh, I came from parents who, from what I can tell, got up every morning and were like, what can I do to make my children's lives better today? You know, they were always trying to send us to the right schools. Uh, I have an older brother. He's 10 years older than I am. And if, and if, if, you know, we didn't know how to do something, they were going to get a, you know, a tutor to teach us. If, you know, if we we're having any type of struggles, we'd, we'd go to the doctor, or we'd go to a counselor, or we'd, you know, we would do, they would do whatever they needed to, to give me the tools to succeed in life. And I, um, way before alcohol came into the picture, um, I just had a lot of issues, um, uh, uh, which become, don't really have anything to do with why I drank, but they're relevant later. You know, I just, um, I've had a, an eating disorder, um, uh, which was just plagued me from like second grade on. Um, I had, uh, just, severe issues with self-esteem. You know, I, I tell people like my, my parents sent me to self-esteem camp when I was in the seventh grade. Um, you know, that's just the type of parents they were. It was a great camp. Um, uh, everyone there was really nice, but you know, I didn't walk out with, with better self-esteem or better boundaries with people. Um, I think I was diagnosed codependent when I was like 14, you know, um, I just, uh, you know, if there was someone out there who was just hellbent on self-destruction I was hellbent on sticking to them like glue and, and trying to save them and um um uh, I'm a little bit unusual in that I didn't touch I really didn't 
I mean, I remember someone reminded me that we did drink a handful of times in high school, but it apparently wasn't very memorable. Um, you know, I was a quote unquote good kid. I got uh, uh, community service awards for um, for service, really, for volunteer. Um, you know, I was out trying to save the world. I was out trying to be God. Um, it doesn't mean that I couldn't be incredibly selfish or dishonest or fearful, but, um, you know, um, I was really trying to be a better person and, you know, really do God's, I was just trying to save the planet. You know, I, I had foster children when I was 19, you know, trying to go to college. Um, you know, it was just, that was, that was me, just a well-intentioned soul. Um, not it, but I'll tell you the truth. I've been hanging out in AA for almost two decades now. And I've, I've, I've yet to meet, you know, I think maybe twice I met an alcoholic who was thoroughly badly intentioned. You know, most of us are just well-intentioned people, but I, you know, I stayed out of trouble. Um, and, uh, Fast forward, I discovered alcohol when I was 22. And at that time, I was encouraged by my parents to drink. Um, I wasn't doing a lot of things that normal, I'm sorry about the bell, I wasn't doing a lot of things that like, quote, unquote, normal kids were doing, and they just wanted me to be normal. And so when I first drank, um, like when I first realized I was drinking, I, I don't really remember the times in high school, they weren't that noteworthy. But I think when I kind of had the aha moment, uh, when I was, was 22 and the first six months of drinking, um, was really some of like probably the happiest six months of my life. Um, it, it helped with the eating disorder. Um, I was still crazy about restricting and purging and, and all that stuff, but it, so it didn't really help with the eating disorder. It helped with the weight problem. I could just, um, basically starve myself all week and then Friday through Sunday drink as much as I wanted and eat whatever I wanted. And the number on the scale went down. Um, and that was all I really cared about at that time. And, uh, um, I, I was just telling my friend about this the other day who doesn't believe it, but I, I was always just incredibly socially awkward all my life. And with alcohol, I, I just suddenly just wasn't, you know, um, I, I would never describe myself as someone who was hip slick and cool. Um, and with alcohol, I was definitely not hip slick and cool, but I like didn't care, you know, and I, I just kind of found my niche. I remember telling people, you know, I'm, um, I'm very, I'm like, just, I'm like, I have an anxiety, like I would, I would say probably, you know, there's probably some professionals who would have said I had an anxiety disorder, but I get a couple of shots in me and like, you know, I can go up to a, a club or whatever and talk to the, um, doorman and convince him to let us in, you know, like G rated, convince him to let us in, you know, I could just talk to anyone, um, and do anything. And if, if things would have stayed that way, um, you know, I wouldn't be here, but unfortunately bad things started to happen. And at the time people were just telling me, oh, well, it's just because you weren't normal, you know, drinking, like you weren't learning how to drink when you were younger. So now you're an, a young adult and you're learning how to drink. And that's why all these bad things are happening where you're over drinking. Um, they actually took me to the ER one time, my friends, because I was so drunk, they thought I had been roofied and it just turned out I was really drunk. Um, and so um, I went through that whole phase of trying to control it. And um, it, you know, that obviously didn't work. Um, and then, um, I once tried to just not drink for a year. And at the same time, I was also basically trying to just not eat. And for the record, I was able to go longer without eating than I was, uh, without drinking, you know? So that tells you, uh, you know, how important alcohol was to me. 
Um, at some point, um, I was starting to have panic attacks and, uh, the doctor gave me some pills to try and help me with the panic attacks. And I was a lot like Bill Wilson's story. I was drinking on the pills and that landed me on the rocks. Um, I don't know if you guys can tell, but I have this big scar, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not a birthmark. Um, that's just what happens when I was mixing my pills and my alcohol and a bunch of plate glass window. And, um, I remember my dad making fun of me afterwards. He was like, who gets into a fight with an inanimate object, you know, like, and, and I it just at the time, I was like, I, I don't know, <laughs> you know, it was just, um, but at some point, you know, things stopped being funny and, um, I had a really bad night and I know a lot of times people in AA and people outside of AA will talk about, um, that, um, you know, like the real you comes out, but my experience has been like, I would drink so much, this completely different person would come out that I didn't recognize at all. Who would just, when I would look, either look back on things like brownouts where I'd remember what I did, or people would tell me what I did. I would just think that doesn't even make any sense. And on one of these nights I got really violent and I went to, um, I woke up the next day, just terrified. And I went to an AA meeting and, um, Long story short, <laughs> you know, I went to that AA meeting and I was given a lot of practical advice of what I remember from it. None of it can I reconcile with the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so um, I was doing things like trying to change my playgrounds and my playmates. I was doing things like trying to attend a meeting every day. Um, you know, I was um, doing things like calling three sober women a day, you know, I had a sponsor, I was told to read the first chapter out of the 12 and 12 every day for the first 30 days. And then the second chapter out of the 12 and 12 every day for like day 31 through 60. And, um, you know, I was, I was, I was doing all of this. And the problem was, um, and so the, the, the problem was, is I, I was like the, the reading of the 12 and 12 was a, a, a test of willingness. And if I could get through the first 90 days without drinking and attending a meeting every day and reading a chapter out of the 12 and 12 every day, then I would be ready to put pen to paper on the fourth step. Unfortunately, I just, I kept getting drunk um, before I could do that. And then I was at that time at that community, which I'm not going to name a location because I don't want to gossip. I was basically told if you're still drinking, you haven't taken step one. And so every time I would drink, I would feel really guilty um, and just think I must not really want this. And I, I actually spent four years in that loop. Um, and I was told, you know, if you go to a meeting every day, you won't drink. I would go to meetings and come home and drink. <laughs> and then I was like, what's going on? So people would say, you need to you need to go to two meetings a day. So I was trying to do that for a while. And then someone told me, well, you need a service position. So I became, you know, the cake person at a meeting and, you know, I got drunk before the meeting, but I was trying to show up and do my service position. So I showed up at the meeting drunk. And of course they, you know, they gave me a knife and put me to work. You know, <laughs> it was basically like, we all got problems, lady, get to work. And I just think only in AA do they hand drunk people knives and, you know, make them start doing things. And so, um, but I will say it took me years to realize this. Nobody ever said anything mean or demeaning to me when I showed up to AA meetings drunk. But it was still just the next morning when I realized what had happened, it was just some of the most, it was just so humiliating. It was so humiliating. And to this day, 
anytime I see someone in AA drunk, I just go up and hug them. You know, I'm still a hugger. You know, I just, I'm just like, because I just know, I know that pain, you know, and I just tell them, you know, it's like, it's, it's okay. Just, just, you know, it's okay. Please come back. You know, please come back. You know, don't, you know, don't, don't, this is not a thing. It's okay. Um, and so I went from when I first came to AA, I was terrified of losing everything. And in those four years, I did lose everything. Um, you know, I had a place to stay and I had a relationship and I had a job. And um, it, when I first came into AA and by the time I left AA, you know, I didn't really have a place to stay. I, I didn't have my job. Um, my car was not functional. Um, and, you know, I, I always just tell people, you know, like, you know, all the cliches, it was a bad country Western song. If I had a dog, it had left me too. You know, I just, and um, a lot of people talk about, um, not that I have anything against country Western music. I'm thinking to myself here, I'm like, I got to remember my audience. But, um, and so it was just, um, I said a bad one. Um, so, um, and I, I hear a lot of times speakers will say like, they gave things away to alcoholism, but I really felt like the disease took it from me because I really was trying. I was reading what I was told to read. I was going to meetings. I was getting on my knees and asking God to save me so, uh, to keep me sober, you know, but I just kept getting drunk. Um, at some point, um, when I just really didn't have anything left to lose, I was recommended to me that I go down to Dallas, Texas, because there was this group of uh, big book fundamentalists, you know, big book thumpers, whatever you want to call them. And they just said, you know, they're treating AA like school. And if you go down there, you know, maybe they'll be able to do something with you. And um, I had pretty much lost all hope at that point. I was okay with dying. I just, I just wanted my dad to be able to say that I had tried everything I could at my funeral. Um, I'd had a stepmother who had uh, died and she had, it was a pretty horrific battle with uh, cancer and MS. And my, at her funeral, my dad was really proud of her and telling everyone, you know, that she had fought to the end. And so I wanted my dad to say I fought to the end. So I went there and um they said i was sassy i wasn't trying to be sassy that was just the way it was and um it was rough but um it, you know i got through the steps in less than 30 days um and it it worked <laughs> um and it was it was it was crazy it was you know steps 1 2 and 3 were a 20 minute conversation. Here's the shortened version. Um, can you control what you drink? No. Um, can you just not drink? No. Do you hope what work for us will work for you? Yes. Are you going to do what you tell us what we tell you to do? Yes. Okay. Um, get on your knees. We're going to say this prayer on page 63 of the book. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We didn't even talk about God. And they're like, yeah, we didn't. And I was just like, but I, you know, I'm not even sure what I believe about God. And they were like, nobody asked you what you believe about God. Get on. We asked you, we're going to do what you say, get on your knees. And we're going to say this prayer. And at the time, um, my, 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 my dad's current wife, uh, well, my dad's passed now, but you know, I had a different stepmother at the time who was with me and she and I weren't necessarily close. And they asked her to get on her knees too <laughs> and pray with me. And I just thought it was just at the time, I just like, this is so crazy. You know what I mean? Like, this is just so strange. And I was embarrassed in front of her. And I was just, but I was just, I was really desperate. So I got on my knees, and I'm holding hands with this woman, I, I hardly know, and I'm holding hands with this other woman who I don't like, who's basically married to my dad, <laughs> you know, and I'm, and I'm just, I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, God, I don't even know if you exist. But if you do, I'm, I'm all in, you know, and, uh, 
they, I was given, I was given some instructions and I was told to come back in a week with a fourth step. And I will be honest, um, the fourth column on my resentment inventory was completely blank because my brain just would not return any information, you know? And I also, I didn't follow direction very well. If you look in the book, the second column for each name is like three sentences. I, I just wrote pages and pages and pages, you know, about just rewriting the story and basically just reliving the whole thing, um, which I don't recommend. Um, and uh, I didn't understand the third column of the fear inventory. I had, I had no idea what, what it meant was like, wasn't because self-reliance failing us. Um, and then the, um, the Harmstone inventory, I'll be honest, I really didn't understand what was going on with that either. Um, I basically just showed up with a big list of ex-boyfriends, you know, uh, but I will tell you that is a test of willingness because the way I was raised, the more sexual experience a woman had, the less desirable she was, the less godly she was, the less respectable she was. So to show up with a list like that was a tremendous amount of willingness. I tell people that's like showing up with your credit score. You know what I mean? Like you, that's private, private stuff, you know? And I, and I showed up with it and, um, basically, um, when it finally got down to do the, the fifth step, um, the, woman was really great uh, she just she went through and she uh defined character defect for me and it just turned out I had just a very limited understanding of what character defect was I basically understood selfishness to be greed and you know nothing else you know and and so when she started talking about you know it's dishonest you know stealing is dishonest gossip is dishonest having expectations of people that they can't fulfill is dishonest being mad at someone for doing something you've done yourself is hypocrisy that's dishonest you know um she really helped me see that jealousy was fear, you know, um, and just, you know, that there was so much fear. I had I had never heard the term self-seeking before in my life. So that was one that, you know, took a lot of time to get that through. And, um, you know, selfish, it, it was still just a brain twister. But she really, she spent hours with me going over the definitions. And we went through and we filled out that fourth column again. And I still had a moment where she had to tell me uh, my mother was my number one resentment. And she told me, Mary, you know, you can you can give up your right to be mad at your mother or you can die. You know, those are, those are your options. And I honestly had a moment of like, I think I'd rather die. I was, I was so mad at her. And, um, it just so happens that, uh, while I was down in Dallas, the day of my last drink, I figured out I was pregnant and I, I wasn't sure if I was going to keep the baby or what, but I, I knew I wanted to carry that baby full term. And I had actually had drinking thoughts while I knew I was pregnant, which, which shocked me. I thought for sure being pregnant would enable me to be sober, at least while I was pregnant. Um, and, uh, it just wasn't, you know, I was in the fetal position crying, you know, begging God not to let me drink. And, um, and because I really didn't think that I was going to be able to take that baby uh, full term, if I didn't keep going, I was like, fine, you know, I'm willing to die on this hill, but I'm not willing, you know, I'm not willing to forfeit, you know, whatever's going on inside me. And, uh, um, and so, uh, we got through the fifth step. It took like eight hours. Uh, in the book, it says, go home and find a place to be quiet for an hour. But I'm kind of homeless. I'm, you know, I'm couch surfing at this time. So I went to a cafe and I spent an hour and, um, my sponsor at that time, she just had a radical way of looking at everything, you know, and it, I remember thinking just being physically sick when I walked out of that fifth step, just feeling awful. And I just remember having a talk with God and just saying, you know, God, independent of the alcoholism, if any of this, what this woman sees is true, this is not who I want to be, you know, so just take it, 
You know, that was, that was, I said this, the seven step prayer formally, but I was like, just, just, just take it, you know, um, that's what I want. And, um, so, um, then I wrote down my eight step list and I really felt like my sponsor had changed the rules of life. I remember at some point, you know, we were looking at my sexual harms done list and she was lovingly like, well, this is useless. You know what I mean? Like, we don't, we don't need to know about a list of all your sexual experiences, Mary, you know? Um, but I remember at some point when we were talking about relationships between men and women, I was just like, that's not selfish. That's just the battle of the sexes. That's, that's just how, you know, that's just how life is, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, and it, it, she was just, you know, uh, radical. And so by these new rules that she had put down in life, pretty much everyone in my life made my eight step list, you know? Um, and it seemed drastic and it seemed super unfair. It felt like I was suddenly playing by uh, a standard, like, I just felt like there were like a double standard and I was being held to a higher level of behavior than everybody else, but I was willing. Um, so I made my, I made my list. I called my sponsor and, um, she gave me a brief overview of how to do 10 and 11. And then the very next day, it just so happened a dear friend of mine, uh, was in Dallas and I went and I tried to make amends to her and I completely messed it up. Um, you know, the part where you're supposed to tell them what you did wrong. Um, and then, you know, ask them what you can do to make it right. And then shut up. Basically she told me something to the effect of don't tell my friends things and then tell me they can't tell me like, don't keep secrets from me, you know? Um, and at the time that just seemed like a, a crazy suggestion. And I, you know, argued with her, went back and I talked to my sponsor about it and she made me go back and redo the amends. And that was certainly humbling. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I've got one amends down. I'm living in 10 and 11 and 12. And uh, at the time, the group that I was with, uh, they were really serious about going out and still trying to find the still suffering alcoholic. And I wasn't really allowed to talk, but I was allowed to shadow them. And they would be going into treatment centers like two, three times a day. I didn't have a job. Um, and I, by the way, I don't recommend this, but my family was bankrolling me. And so I had a car and a gas in the car and, a, you know, a, a, an extended stay hotel to stay in. And I was just following these people around as they would go into halfway houses and sober living communities and um, treatment centers and detox and psych wards, uh, basically taking people through steps one, two, and three. And, um, at some point when I was living in 10, 11 and 12, the woman I was working with said, you need to go over and you need to try to 12 step that woman. And at the time, um, you know, um, I'm older now. I'm, I'm in my mid forties. I was, I was in my late 30 or early thirties at that time. I, I have a baby voice. I, I sounded like a kid and the woman she sent me to was a grandma, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm white and she was, and she was black. And I just thought, I'm just like, she's, you know, you, I don't have any money, but you can't tell to look at me um, because my parents are paying all the bills. And this woman, when she was sharing in the meeting, she was just talking about how she had just lost everything. Right. And I was very scared that this woman was going to tell me to get lost, you know, in, in a very unkind way. Um, but I was more scared of being fired by my sponsor for not following directions. So I went over and I'm trying to talk to this woman and I'm looking at her thinking like, we're both human and we're both alcoholic and that's about all we have in common. And um, she was really upset and she was basically just crying and whining about, you know, I can't believe I got sober and I got out and I got a job and I got an apartment and then I stopped doing what I was supposed to do. And one thing led to another and I drank and I lost it all, you know? And she was just like, I can't believe 
I can't believe I, I, I drank again. You know, I just, I, I'm so mad at myself for doing this. And I just, I just, I don't think I even prayed. I just said to her, I said, you know, um, I think you're just doing a really good step one, you know, <laughs> and I like that. That's all I told her. And instead of telling me to get lost, she was just like, you think? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I think, I think this is just a sign that, you know, you're going to get sober. You're going to be okay. If you just keep going, you're just a really good step one and you just keep moving forward in the steps and, and you'll be okay. And it, she actually asked me to sponsor her. <laughs> and um, back then, you know, it was pre COVID and pre online meetings. Well, there were online meetings, but nothing like there is now, you know, they, they were telling me you're planning on going back to St. Louis. You've never actually sponsored any war, um, anyone, you know, this is not, remote sponsorship for someone who's never had any experience would not be a good idea. So I, I, I passed her off, but it, it went from me being afraid that that woman was going to tell me to go to hell to literally like me holding her as she cried. Um, and, um, and so, uh, and I will tell you, no one has ever told me to get lost in AA. Um, I have found just showing up and generally trying to be helpful and, you know, just, uh, taking the risk. Um, no one has ever been mean to me and I still have a hard time in AA. Um, I get nervous around newcomers again, you know, I'm afraid they're not going to think I'm hip slick and cool. And I just have mentors that remind me like when a newcomer comes into the room, it's your job to go up and welcome them. It's your job to show them where the coffee is, where the literature is, you know, where the bathroom is to, you know, explain anything to them. And I still have a moment before they come in. It's like, Oh God, what if they reject me? You know, (laughs) selfish and self-centered, but I, you know, I still battle that. Um, I just pray and I just go take the next indicated step and, um, you know, I've been, uh, so we're 13 years now and, and no one's ever been mean to me. It's just something, it's just a lie. My ego tells me. Um, so I, I did go, I did continue to get sober in Dallas after about two months, I came back up to St. Louis and I was really looking to try to recreate what we had in Dallas. And so I, I would go to meetings every day. It wasn't that the meetings kept me sober at that point. I'm living in 10, 11 and 12. I'm, you know, I'm praying and meditating in the morning. I'm doing my nightly review. I'm still working on my amends. I had so many amends to make. Um, and, um, and, uh, about four months in this woman was in a meeting and she said, you know, um, I don't know, I don't want to drink, but I just don't know if I want to live anymore. That's what she said. And at the end of the meeting, they said, uh, is anyone available for sponsorship? And sometimes I wonder if my memory is accurate, but it feels like I was the only woman in the room that raised their hand. And so, you know, after the meeting, I went up to her and I talked to her and, she had more time dry than I did. I had about four months and she had like 10, um, just way more time dry. And I just told her, I was like, listen, I'm not like you. I couldn't stay sober without getting through the steps, but I've heard about people like you. And I think if we can get you through the steps, you won't be suicidal anymore. And she was just so desperate. She was like, sure, let's do it. <laughs> You know, and so um, we got through the steps and my sponsor was at work um, while we we're doing her fifth step. So we wound up calling her sponsor who was retired um, a few times and he just walked us through it. You know, anything we didn't know what to do was not a big, big deal, you know, and then um, uh, I actually ended up getting to give someone a one year chip before I had uh, a year myself, you know, and so now. I still have my, I still have a sponsor down in Dallas. And so when it's time for me to get my chips, I go not, not for myself, you know, so other people can see me getting chips to give the newcomer the hope. And I will turn, I, 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 you know, I turn to someone in, in the fellowship, usually someone who's in my sponsorship line and I'll ask them to please give me the chip 
so that they can feel how good it feels to give that to someone else because it was just it was a really good feeling to give that to her um another thing that happened uh during my attempts to get sober is um someone when I was, you know, in the throes of drinking, someone who had 17 years came up to me and they're like, this is my 17 year chip. I just got it today. And I want you to hold on to it until you have 17 years. And then I want you to give it to someone else because you have to give it away in order to keep it. Now, unfortunately, I I lost that chip, you know, <laughs> um, you know, this is what happens, uh, untreated alcoholism, but that really stuck with me. And so I also do that, you know, when I receive a chip, I, I give it to someone else and I say, I want you to hold on to this chip until you have this much time. And then, and then they, you, they, you know, you give it to someone else. And I will tell you, um, it, it's hard because as the more I do this, people give me really gorgeous chips. <laughs> you know, they're, they're gorgeous. They're they're and they're pretty and I'm proud of them. And they're, you know, um, but it, it's a reminder of myself as a reminder to others. And it really makes, um, an impact on the, on the newcomer. You know, um, I've, I've seen people just uh, cry and they really understand um, that this is, you know, we sponsorship and yes, this is my opinion, but I can back it up with the text. It's really not optional. If I really, really want this to work, if I really, really want to stay sober um, in order, you know, I have to carry the message. I have to help other people. I have to give it away. And so um, let's see, I'm doing on time. I'm doing okay. Um, so what I'm like now, uh, again, still your typical Midwestern woman. Um, I hope I don't cry. Life is good, but um, life has not always been perfect. Um, you know, um, I, I did have that baby and I did keep him. He was uh, walking around here. I, th- I was hoping you guys would get to see him. He's 12. He's going through this, you know, I'm too cool to say high face, um, but uh, he was my sobriety baby and uh, he has grown up in AA. I was just telling someone today, the first prayer he ever said was the fear prayer. Um, I did not end up having a, a romantic relationship with his father. Um, we had actually broken up before I found out that I was pregnant. Um, and that was, that was very, very humbling, you know, um, to be single and to be pregnant and to not be able to tell people we got back together and lived happily ever after. But now he's married to someone who is absolutely perfect for him. So I know God knew what, uh, he was doing. And I will say he is a great dad, you know, (laughs) um, he just turned out, you know, he's a, he's a good husband and he's a great dad. It just turns out he's not my good husband, you know? Um, and so, and God has a plan. Um, my, uh, I had a really good friend in AA that died, uh, in 2019, uh, she died before she turned 40. Um, and, uh, that was, that was rough. And that's when I decided that instead of moaning about getting older, I was going to thoroughly enjoy it because getting older is a luxury, not a curse. Um, she died uh, when she was 39 and then, um, a month later, my mom died. <laughs> and that was rather unexpected. Um, maybe it was two months later, a short amount of time. She was, she was misdiagnosed. We found out too late that she had lung cancer. Um, and then my brother and I really tried to be there for her. You know, we're hoping that we could extend it, but it was just, it was just too long, you know? Um, so, you know, just for the record, she was my number one resentment on my four step. And by the, just the power of AA, you know, by the end of her life, I was, I was with her constantly. You know, I slept with her every night. I was her, I was her primary caregiver, you know, and I don't know if I mentioned it, but when I first got sober, my friend wasn't answering my calls. And, you know, by the time, you know, by the, I don't know why I keep saying, you know, by the time we, 
we're the end caring for her, you know, he and I are living together and we're taking shifts, taking care of um, my mother, um, you know, and, and I just remember she would be in so much pain and we're, while we're trying to get everything done and she would just say over and over again, I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy you're sober. I'm so glad you're here. And um, I didn't mention it, but my mom grew up in an alcoholic home and uh, she just, her solution was just to avoid her family of origin, you know? And, and so when she started to realize that I was alcoholic, her heart just broke because at that time she was just hoping by avoiding her family of origin that she could avoid this problem, you know, but I was, you know, I was alcoholic. And so, um, out of all of the alcoholics in her family, I think myself and one other person uh, got sober, you know, but in, in her family of origin, it's more, um, it's more notable when someone isn't an alcoholic than when they are, you know, so to be able to, to have an alcoholic daughter who actually got sober was a big deal for her. She really liked to go to the AA Al-Anon conferences and, you know, kind of show me off and be like, this is my alcoholic, you know, <laughs> like, and um, I, if anyone has that, you know, looking back right now, I, I would go, I, I did go with her, um, you know, when she asked me to go, but now I would, I would love to go to an Al-Anon conference, conference and have my mom show me off. You know, I, I would just, it, unsolicited advice from anyone who's out there. You know, if you have an Al-Anon in your life that, that wants to take you to those things, please go for me, you know, <laughs> so I can live vicariously through you. Um, and, uh, so, you know, she died. And then, um, a few months later, uh, a few weeks later, I guess she died in, July. My dad died in September. Now my parents divorced when I was six months old. Um, and it was a rough, it was a rough divorce. I, you know, most divorces are. Um, and, um, when I first got sober and they found out I was pregnant, they basically had this like truce because they said, you know, Mary needs us. So we're just going to work together, even though we can't stand each other. And, between me working the, the program in AA, my mom working on spiritual problem, uh, you know, principles and Al-Anon, um, you know, we got to the point where uh, we started spending holidays all together, my mom and my dad and my stepmom. Um, we had family photos taken of all of us. One day they called me up and they said, hey, we bought a car. And I was like, what do you mean you bought a car? And my dad's like, well, your mom bought a car, but I went with her because, you know, women don't get as good of prices. I brought a man. I, she brought me along so she'll get better prices. And so it's my mom and my dad and my stepmom are all at this restaurant celebrating buying the car. My mom and my stepmom went on vacation together without my dad and I. Like it just turned into something crazy, but really good. And then it even got to the point that my stepmom's ex-husband was coming to holidays and my son is calling him Papa Frank. You know, it was it was weird, but it was good. You know, and it's one of those things that when you look back on it, it's better than anything you could have come up with all on your own. And um my dad, so my dad died in in September. And, you know, it, it's just my, my stepmom and I, and, uh, you know, uh, a couple, like two years ago, we're sitting in a restaurant, uh, having dinner for my dad's birthday, even though he had passed away. And, uh, my stepmom who was there with her, her new husband, you know, she just stands up and she gives a toast, you know, and she's like, and she's like to Jim and Linda, you know, wherever they are, I hope they're together and I hope they're happy. And I just, this is the woman that I was holding her hand when I was on my knees, uh, you know, saying the third step prayer down in Dallas, just thinking like, this is so weird, you know? And, uh, it, it just, you know, I, I didn't want to like that woman, you know, <laughs> you know, but now, um, 
I'm really glad, you know, because even though both my biological parents have, have died, you know, I, I have her in my life and she's, she's really a blessing. Um, and, uh, just trying to think here. Ren is, uh, Ren is no longer here. Do I see Ren? Oh, there she is. Hi, Ren. Uh, you know, Ren is one of my really dear friends and it's variety. Part of me feels like I should let her chime in. I'm like, what am I like now, Ren? You know, um, I, I still have severe anxiety. I still would not describe myself as hip slick or cool. Um, uh, I, I'm not chronically late anymore, but I still do have quite a bit of clutter. Um, and I really struggle with procrastination. <laughs> um, I don't lie anywhere near as often as I used to. I used to just be, I just, it was just, it was like, I could not tell the truth to save my life. And in early sobriety, when they told me that, you know, uh, gossip was dishonest, if I was saying something about someone else that I, I wouldn't say in front of them, I needed to just, you know, not talk. I was quiet for a really long time because I could not figure out how to make conversation without gossiping. I even called my sponsor up one day and said, I think we need to do the steps again. And she said, why? And I said, because I can't talk without gossiping you know, I think it didn't take. <laughs> and she said, Oh, no, the fact that you're realizing you're gossiping, you're being quiet is actually a really good sign. <laughs> Just keep being quiet. Um, and so um, I, you know, I, I, I'm not bragging, I would say I'm, I'm, I am generally my default is, is honesty now. And that is, is so much better. And uh, I used to worry that if like, I wouldn't gossip with people that I wouldn't be able to build intimacy with them. And what I have found is that I actually have much stronger relationships um, now that I don't gossip and I can be with friends with people who don't like each other <laughs> and it's okay because I don't have to get involved um, uh, without telling anyone secrets. You know, I, I wasn't the only one who qualified for 12 step <laughs> in my family. And so a lot of times when I was growing up, a way of showing affection is like being someone's alibi so like, um, you know, I would have male family members who would cheat on their wives or their girlfriends or whatever. And they would say, oh, I, I was out with Mary, you know, and if the woman would ask me, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, we were out together because I wasn't trying to hurt anyone. I just I just wanted to be loved and accepted. And I, you know, I just was trying to be there for that guy. I don't know how to explain it now. Cause it sounds just crazy, <laughs> you know, but I was just, I was, that's how it was. You know, if you loved each other, if you really love someone you covered for them, you know what I mean? And, um, and my sponsor told me like, you're not going to be able to lie from, from men anymore. If they're cheating on their wives or their girlfriends, you're not going to be able to lie to their wife or girlfriend and say he was with me. And I was so scared, uh, you know, to, to tell that, you know, to tell them in my life that things had changed. And at first there was annoyance, but I will tell you, um, those relationships got even better. And, you know, um, on the rare occasion that something would happen that I would realize they'd lied to their wife or girlfriend and, and they'd lied to me too. I didn't even take it personally. Cause I got to a point where I began to realize women were like their alcohol, you know, and, and it was just not personal. And it was, it was, it didn't mean they didn't love me or anything like that. You know, it just meant that this was their, their ism and God had a plan for them and I could still love them. And it didn't make me a bad person, but it didn't mean that I needed to get involved in any way. And, uh, we were, we were also closer and closer and closer. And I just bring that up because there were so many things that my sponsor told me I had to do. And I was just convinced it was going to just ruin my way of life. Um, but it actually made it, uh, so much better. And I see, we got like eight minutes here and I, 
And I always think of things to say after we're done. And I was like, you know, what am I like now? What am I like now? Um, pray here. Life's good. Life's, life's really good. And uh, I think I have perspective now. And um, there's little snippets of things that are coming in. But um, usually when I fizzle out on things, that's a sign that I'm done. <laughs> so I'm just going to say, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed uh, being here. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, Ren, thank you for, for coming. I, I, you know, I love that you came. And I, um, thanks again for everyone for giving me the opportunity to tell my story. And uh, with that,